Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking to Josh Durham today. And this is going to be a how I did it, how I'm doing it story, merchant success story, also agency success story. And, and this is really, really fascinating because Josh has just a very unique uh, experience in a pretty short period of time. But he uh, was the founder and CEO of Weighted Comforts, a weighted blanket company that he's that he really started from zero and built to six million dollars a year in revenue, and then it imploded. And so we're gonna hear that <laughs> story. Lots of lessons from the good and the bad of that. He was then also the head of growth at Groove Life, uh, working with our, our mutual buddy Peter Goodwin at at Groove Life. Shout out to Peter. Uh, and so you know, Josh helped Groove Life add ten million to the top line in growth as, as he was the head of growth, which was an awesome experience. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. And then now he's running an agency called Aligned Aligned Growth Management. And uh, we're going to unpack that just a little bit as well. So lots of good stuff to talk about. Can't wait. Uh, with that intro, Josh, welcome to the show. And, and thanks for taking the time, man. Absolutely, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So where, where are you hailing from? Where do, you, where do you call home? I am from Nashville, Tennessee. One of my favorite cities, man. And it, it's a city that's just absolutely exploding. A lot of, lot of tech and e-commerce energy, it seems, in yeah. Nashville. So that's a pretty hot place to be right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Always a fun new restaurant to be visiting. I always, I also kind of feel like I'm living in a war zone because there's just construction <laughs> constantly around me. Like the house across the street from my house actually just got torn down and they're going to build like three houses in, their, in its place. But it's definitely a fun place to be for sure. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, maybe not at the level of Austin. I just got back from Austin, a trip to Austin recently and all kinds of construction and mayhem going on there. But Nashville's kind of still, like Nashville's really growing at a fast clip too, which is which is super interesting. So yeah, uh, yeah, man. So let's let's dive right in. So so weighted comforts, weighted blanket company. You grew up from nothing to six million to implosion. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the like what was the genesis of that? Why weighted blankets? Which by the way, there's probably not a worse thing to ship other than maybe like gallons and gallons of of water or something. Uh, right. But uh, but how did you get into the weighted blanket business? Yeah, great question. Well, I was going to say on the shipping side, I was actually a, one of my biggest accomplishments was we got it down to like $12 uh, per unit, even though the average blanket was like 20 pounds. So that was quite the accomplishment. I guess they're uh, not super bulky, but they are extremely heavy. So heavy. I know. That was probably one of the worst parts too, is like when you're getting started and you're shipping product yourself, you know, you're going to throw out a disc in your back. <laughs> Try it with all these blankets. Yeah. If you've ever, yeah, my wife uses the weighted blanket. I, I personally don't like them, but uh, as I like just try to move, I always forget how heavy it is. I try to move it. I'm like, holy cow, what, what is this thing? It's just always like shocking how heavy it is. Yeah, you're like, someone's on top of me when you're sleeping <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so how I got into it was actually my mom, she was a marriage and family therapist, and she was actually using these blankets for her most anxious clients. And so as soon as, you know, they would use this heavy blanket, uh, you know, during a therapy session, they would calm down like immediately. And so she was kind of like, oh, there, there must be something to this. And she was kind of telling me about it. And of course, I feel like, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you probably either read one of two books. You either read The 4-Hour Workweek or you read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And for me, it was The 4-Hour Workweek. And so I'd been looking for you know, a product with high margins, high revenue per product, that kind of thing. And just thought that, that it was an, an amazing product. And so, 
you know, we started selling it on Facebook Marketplace, um, kind of touting the benefits of you know reducing anxiety, improving sleep, and one of the first posts that we put on our you know this Facebook group, we sold over a thousand dollars off of just one organic post, and so I just knew something was there, and so for that first year, we just made everything custom. Um, and actually met customers at Joanne's Fabric, uh, had them pick out their own fabric, you know, their own custom weight, all those kind of things. Yeah. So you were you were generating leads. You would then like schedule an appointment, go meet me at Joanne Fab- Joanna's Fabric, and then you were making them custom for each person. Yep, exactly. That's that's exactly how it started. Wow. Yep. Uh, and then you you realize that's probably pretty miserable or not scalable. Yeah. Totally. So then, you know, I kind of was started to dink around with Shopify, built out a Shopify store, um, and just started trying to figure it out. And so, um, something that we realized early on in that market was most of the brands were catering to um, like children with like autism or, um, you know, some kind of disorder that a sensory processing disorder, for example. And so, we really saw that there was room in the market for adults with just general sleep, um, like a general sleep disorder or just general anxiety. And so we kind of catered the brand. And so we started making the weight of each blanket like a standard weight and a standard size instead of having it all custom. And that really enabled us to go into e-commerce and to scale quickly. And so, you know, for a while we were doing, you know, about $10,000 a month online once we started kind of rolling. Uh, but it wasn't until I really figured out how to run Facebook ads, which I hired a coach in like 2016, where we went immediately from like 10K a month to about $50,000 a month. And so... So um, Facebook ads, that was the that was the channel, that was the vehicle that really allowed you guys to hit scale. Well, yeah. that combined with, you've got standardized sizes and stuff where you're not making stuff at Joanna's Fabric. Totally. Yeah. So that was actually, yeah, Facebook, that was really when, you know, Facebook video ads were just absolutely crushing, like more of a long form type video. And so um, we were just getting super cheap cost per views, cost per clicks. Um, But really a big part of that business too was employing the refugee community in Nashville. And so we actually discovered that through a program called Sew for Hope, which um, basically would teach refugee women how to sew to have like a source of income for their family. But when they would graduate that program, they didn't have anywhere to go to. And so we started hiring all of their graduates out of that program. And so, and basically we were able to... refugee population in, in Nashville? Yeah, actually an extremely large population here. Um, and so part of the benefit that we had with them was giving them... a a consistent source of income, but also uh, eventually when we got into our own, you know, physical space, we started doing paid English classes on site so that it would help them like integrate culturally. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I think that's, that is a, uh, one, it's a noble thing to do. Uh, it's also a good business practice. I'm sure they were, some of the ladies you hired were amazing workers and, and it worked out well. I know that led to some some issues too. We'll talk about uh, management of cogs and, and some of those things uh, here, kind of as we go. But but what were let's let's first talk about what were some of the things you guys just absolutely got right right out of the gate, and then we'll talk about some some of the failures in a minute. Yeah, for sure. The things that we got right, I think, were like I said, honestly, standardizing 
the uh, like the weight of each blanket. So like standardizing the product, but also kind of like the demographic that we were going after. So, you know, the brand was really for moms. Like, you know, moms were kind of the buyers, whether they were buying for themselves or for like other members of their family. Those were that was kind of our target market, and so we were really kind of in the vein of you know uh, Magnolia Farms, you know Joanna Gaines type looking brand with you know really like light, uh, natural like natural light in like photos and stuff like that. That really kind of had like more of an aesthetic than if you were you know buying a blanket from another another brand that might have like you know like minions. On, on the yeah. fabric it wasn't it wasn't gimmicky like that it was more for like adults like more florals and pastels uh, on the fabrics and so I think that's the thing that we got right as well as just like the channel and so just like going deeper and deeper into Facebook where you know eventually we're spending you know close to a quarter million a month on advertising um, fairly profitably and so I think those are some of the big ones um, but I, I think that, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think some of the things that we didn't get right was really evolving the product into like what the brand should have become. It's like a product 2.0. Got it. Got it. So you did, but you did understand your target market pretty well. You, you nailed that product. Um, and, and then you, you're really good at marketing, right? You, you dove deep into Facebook. You got great results there. So uh, yeah, so let's talk about then. Uh, what did you What did you not do well? So, so product two point Talk talk about that. So you you built this yeah. amazing hero product, and you weren't able to extend the line or or do kind of that next gen. Yeah. So one of the the difficult parts about the weighted blanket was, for one, most people only needed one blanket. Yeah. Right. So they're kind of one and done. So the repeat purchase rate was so low. Like I think it was almost at like only 9 or 10% wow. repeat customer rate. So this so, you're not thinking about LTV at that at that point. Yeah. Ad, return on ad spend for, you know, getting that that first sale. Yeah, there's like no LTV. It's just right. like <laughs> they spend $200 and just they're AOV. gone. AOV is all that matters. That is L- L- Yeah, exactly right. And so, you know, the the product that really um, helped drive sales like primarily was our cool we had a weighted blanket that was made with like Coolmax fabric. And so the benefit of that was that it was like a heavy blanket, but it wasn't hot because the fabric would like uh, would wick away sweat, and it would just like the fabric would breathe. But after that, there was no secondary product. There was no pillows. You know, we didn't really get into you know any kind of like essential oil diffusers or sheets. You know that kind of thing. And so we it was kind of a, kind of a difficult business to be in because we were, you know, are we a health and wellness company or are we more of a like home goods company? Because really the main benefit that we are driving with the blanket was reducing your anxiety, improving your level of sleep. And so I think that's where we kind of got caught is where we're really scaling one single product, but we didn't add on to those lines to where it would make it easier to kind of have, you know, a stronger structure of, of revenue coming in yeah. from like other other products. So, so you kind of struggled with are we are we more of like a, a bedding company? Do we need to have pillows and other other bedding related things, or are we really an anxiety reduction, you know, a stress reduction company? And so, so, so why do you think um, you got kind of hung up there? Was it just 
running in too many different directions or, or why were you not able to kind of nail that, that identity? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think one of the things that I got caught up in for sure was just like wanting to continue to scale without having to evolve the product. Yeah. You know, I was just, uh, you know, a money hungry marketer that mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, I'm all about like keeping things super simple and just trying to like go deeper in a few things and, um, just continue to scale that core product because it was working. And, and we, I mean, we and, were. And you kind of cracked the code on Facebook, right? Facebook ads were really working. And that was the golden era of Facebook. And I think that is one thing. Right. I'm curious if you agree. Like, that, that is one thing that I think some startups don't really understand is that even if you nail that first product, customer acquisition costs are always going to go up, right? It's the nature of platforms. It's the nature of business. It's just your CAC costs, customer acquisition costs are going to go up. So what are you doing to increase LTV, increase your, your average order value? You know, how are you addressing those things? And it sounds like you maybe waited a little too long. You were like yeah, uh, loving the action on Facebook and just trying to press that lever rather than thinking about expanding. Um, yeah, exactly. I was like putting my foot on the gas. And that was the golden year of uh, Facebook ads for sure. We, I think we, we hit the perfect timing for that product as well. Yeah. Which is awesome, and I think and I know we'll talk about uh, Groove Life in a minute, but they're they're a, a really shiny example of of product extension, right? Yep. And Peter's always wanted exactly. to be more of an adventure company, so silicone wedding rings. I forgot to wear mine today, uh, but silicone wedding rings. Um, but then as they they pivoted and they've successfully or not pivoted, but they've added to their their product line. Uh, belts, and I've got I've got on my Groove Life belt. The right Groove now. belt, the best belt I've ever worn. It's kind of like magnetic, the way it clasps on the buckle, and it kind of flexes. Very addicting. Yeah, and that's the like product is like a huge part of their business, but it fits right. It's accessories. It's it's for people that are active, engaged in adventure, and then they've added some other things as well. Wallet and some other stuff. It's really cool. So they, so they nailed it. So I think that is something. Any any thoughts or advice you would give to a merchant? Like here's how here's how you would approach product line extension now, uh, knowing what you know uh, from successes and failures. Yeah, for sure. I think I think a lot of it is kind of around just like revenue growth. So I think that like kind of having that core product, getting that up to like a half mil half a million a year to like a million dollars a year. I think that's a great kind of threshold of you know that's like where I would kind of start thinking about your product 2.0 of how you can add to that because you really need kind of that core funnel or that core product to go sell on its own and then adding on those secondary products of like okay what are these customers also going to purchase because I think one of even the things I learned at Groove Life was you know like for example, the Apple Watch bands, a lot of the customers that were buying the Apple Watch bands weren't the same customers that were buying the silicone wedding rings. Like they were actually two very different customers. One was the Apple Watch band uh, market, from what we could tell, was a lot more urban and you know maybe more concerned with like health and fitness than the typical person that was wearing a silicone wedding ring. Because really Groove Life kind of started out of this more like blue collar uh, outdoorsman. Uh, market versus you know an urban health and wellness market, um, but one, once we added in like the Groove Belt, like everyone bought the Groove Belt from our customer list uh, when we launched the Groove Belt, right? Whereas when we launched like Apple Watch Band, it really like kind of 
came on to like cold. I don't know how you say that. Cold ears. No, not cold ears. But it's new, like it, new users, new shoppers. New, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it didn't take off inside our email list, but it would do decently well on like cold traffic. And so I think that that's just something that you have to like keep in mind too. Is like how different products will connect with the type of customer that you're already trying to attract. Yeah. And so, you know, who's going to buy after that core product and like what kind of person is going to also buy um, f- like from you versus Amazon. And so I think it's a, it's, it's a lot more uh, easier said than done, but it's definitely something that you have to figure out as a brand owner. Yeah, I love it. So, so let's talk about, you know, some of the key takeaways from the weighted blanket experience. So you, you talked with me as we were prepping a couple of weeks ago. You were talking about how, you know, there, there's such a need to get granular with your costs and to know your numbers inside and out. What advice would you give to people and what, what kind of key takeaways do you have from that experience related to understanding the numbers in your business? Yeah, for sure. So one of my favorite sayings is uh, top line revenue is vanity, bottom line profit is sanity. And uh, that's it's definitely fun to brag about those top line numbers when you're at events and masterminds and marketing conferences and stuff like that. But yeah, does top line really matter? Yeah, exactly. I'm a I'm an EBITDA man. Yeah. And so I think it's uh, I just think that you know it really matters about your your bottom line profits in in terms of uh, how healthy your lifestyle is going to be for sure, and, and if you're going to be able to sleep at night. But yeah, I think there's like there's this framework that I like to use. Um, for most e-commerce brands, whenever I'm like in that, you know, analyzing a potential client to kind of look at looking at their numbers, and it's kind of what we just call the like the law of quarters. And so this is actually developed by Taylor Holiday, largely, and I I give him a lot of credit. I've, I've learned a lot from him, but um, basically, it's just you know you kind of have four main costs in an e-commerce business, right? So let's say that your your cost of goods sold. Uh, is at like 25%. So that would be like one quarter of your cost in an e-commerce brand. And then another 25% of your cost in a total e-commerce brand would be uh, your marketing costs. So that would be, you know, say you're running uh, at a 4X ROAS, that would be 25% uh, spend to revenue ratio. So that would be another 25%. And the third 25% would basically be uh, your operational expenses. So that's your overhead, rent, maybe you're also including shipping in that cost. And basically through that framework, you're basically going to be ending up with 25% net profit at the end of the day. And so if, if any of those numbers are different for your business, you can actually allocate a different percentage to each different bucket so that you can still end up with 25% net margin. So maybe you're actually able to cut back on your OPEX expense and maybe you're able to allocate more budget to profit, or maybe you have to allocate more budget to your marketing expense, uh, whereas that's probably the case for most brands. Um, but that kind of helps me in some way be able to go into any e-commerce business and kind of get a basic understanding of where how the numbers play out for each brand. Yeah, I really like that. So quick recap, the law of quarters states 25% to COGS or cost of goods, 25% operation, 25% marketing, 25% net profit. Obviously, it's going to flex or change a little bit depending on your business, but I think it is a great way to look at it and say, oh, wow, my COGS are actually 
55%, like, whoa, that's, that's, that's a rough space to be in e-commerce because now you got no money for right. Money, right? Either you're going to have to be bare bones on operations or you're going to have very little money for marketing and it's just not going to work, right? So if it, if it moves a little bit, a few points in one of those categories, then, then you've got to be able to justify that, that adjustment to other categories as well. And, and one thing I'll point out here too is that when you're looking at you know, 25% dedicated or allocated to marketing, it's not necessarily that it's a 4X ROAS in platform, right? You're looking at more of a 4X MER, right? Media efficiency ratio. So total sales and total marketing dollars, you're looking at like a 4X there um, rather than like, you know, sometimes your, your new customer acquisition cost is going to be higher than that. But looking at that right. total media efficiency ratio, 4X in this, in this case. So... Um, yeah. So then, were you? So were you kind of not able to get to that the law of quarters with your your weighted blanket business? Yeah, exactly. So the thing that happened with that business was, well, so in December 2018, basically, you know, we hadn't hit our sales goals like we had hoped. We actually hit in uh, November we hit like 800k that month, and in November and December we also hit like another 800k. But we had you know, forecasted closer to like 1.2 for each month. And that year, we had actually tried going from 2 million to 10 million Whoa. in one year. Five extra which is just, a year, it's a lot. That's just a huge jump, especially operationally. And you're like, when you're bootstrapped, that makes it extremely, extremely difficult on cash flows. Um, and you're just, your team in general, especially as you're making that jump, you're probably going from uh, a cash basis uh, accounting to accrual in that. So it just, yep. you know, creates a lot of different confusion when you're making that jump. Um, but anyways, we really overinvested into inventory. And then, you know, very quickly in 2019, we really started to see ROAS drop as uh, more competitors came on into the space. We went from like tracking four competitors to over 30. Wow. And, you know, Target came out with their own weighted blanket and you know their cost was closer to like seventy dollars when ours was closer to two hundred, and so uh, very quickly the numbers no longer made sense. Our opex was you know probably thirty percent of revenue. All of a sudden our our ROAS and Facebook was at, it was at probably at like a three x blended, and so you know just the margin was just starting to get was starting to shrink. Uh, you know, very quickly. And so it just made things extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah, totally makes sense. And so um, lots more we can unpack there, but 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 in the interest of time, I want to kind of transition to, to Groove Life. We may circle back to weighted blankets as we go here a little bit, but but let's talk about, about Groove Life. So you were the, the head of growth, added, you guys grew like by $10 million in top line while you were there. And I know, I know the bottom line was healthy too, but um, talk about like some of the, some of the, the key things you did to, to help Groove grow as, as the head of growth? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, obviously it wasn't all on me. You know, Peter's a great marketer himself at Groove Life. And so, and Bryant was there yeah, as well as a CMO. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, one of the big things that really helped Groove grow, I think outside of just like the marketing, I think we can talk about like YouTube. Um, I think that we can talk about um, a lot of the fun stuff that we were doing on TikTok and, and Facebook ads. But I think that one of the things that really helped Groove grow is kind of like what we were already talking about was just like adding in these new product lines. Because really that was a that was kind of like the new revenue growth 
because I think that we had really kind of saturated the silicone ring yeah. market of people who were probably going to buy a silicone ring regardless. And I think that we are capturing a lot of the attention of that market already. And we had quickly taken over a large uh, market share from Kalo and you know Enzo as well was one of our other competitors. But really like adding in the belt and really um, and really increasing the revenue share into like the Apple watch bands, like that was actually kind of a huge component that enabled us to grow. So from there, so that's kind of like how I like to think of things is like really your marketing strategy starts from your product development. I think that's one thing that Peter's really great at is thinking from a marketing perspective uh, when he's like designing each and every single product. It's like, what are the benefits? What are the calls to action that we can make inside an ad that are that's going to make this click worthy inside the timeline, right? Yeah, um, that's kind of the way Amazon does it. Just to to kind of give a, a quick uh, um, insight there is that you know they they start with the customer and work backwards. So they when they're doing a new initiative or a new product design or rollout, they think about what do we put in the press release, right? That's what they think about from the very beginning because that kind of forces them to think. One, what is worth talking about here? And what will people want? And who would want this, right? And so it sounds like that's something Peter's really good at is thinking about, okay, if we're going to build this belt, how can we, what, what are the points of differentiation going to be? What, what are we going to be able to say in our ads? And why will people fall in love with this? Um, and that's key right. because sometimes I think people are just like, hey, let's, you know, this market's hot. Let's just make a belt. We can sell it, you know? Uh, but really thinking about marketing from the beginning is, is really smart. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other things that was really cool that we were able to do was, I don't know, have you ever seen, have you gotten the ads from like Athletic Greens where they're running all the different ads from different influencer pages? Also, it feels like Athletic Greens has just been like absolutely destroying everyone on ads recently in the I, last couple of months. Know, oddly enough, so I heard of Athletic Greens through the Tim Ferriss podcast. Uh, I don't see their ads much. I'm not sure why they're not targeting me uh, specifically, but yeah, I'm very familiar with them, but just not their ads. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I've been talking with like a lot of people on Twitter about like everyone seems like they're getting <laughs> the athletic I'll, I'll greens ads. Site and then I'll see what their remarketing game is like. I'll, there you go. Yeah, check it out. But anyways, my main point was just around their influencer strategy of running like white labeling influencers uh, just like the added trust that you get from like influencer marketing. And so we leverage a lot of that uh, for the Groove Life account to where inside Facebook, I was actually running 20 different ad accounts uh, on behalf of Groove from different influencer accounts. And also even some of our licensing partnerships like uh, Mossy Oak Camo, Realtree Camo, um, all those guys, we were actually running ads from those accounts um, and being able to leverage their remarketing audiences. Yeah, so super smart. So you were basically, you were, you had access to their Facebook manager account, Mossy Oak and or some of the influencers. You were running ads with their content, pointing people back to Groove Life, uh, but you were doing all the spin, right? So that there's, uh, how did you kind of position that? Because it's a real win-win for you and for the influencer, for you and the, the partner brand. How did you kind of position that as a win-win? Yeah, for sure. So it kind of, it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis. So, you know, sometimes in the licensing contract, it might be, it might come with like that as part of the deal to where we get access to their ad account and can run um, ads through their pages. You know, in the case of like a smaller influencer, sometimes they got like a 5% rev share through any revenue attributed through the Facebook account. 
Um, other ones were just kind of like a one-time fee for the year. So like, um, like we would sign like an MMA, uh, an MMA athlete, or we would sign, you know, a uh, bull riding athlete. Uh, and so that would kind of just be a part of the added fee for the year. But yeah, we set all those up basically for them and really leverage all the creative and start to do kind of like some fun, you know, remarketing campaigns where, you know, at seven days, this person would see this on a site visit or then they would see this next page. And it just kind of seems like you're omnipresent once you go through the remarketing funnel of everyone's talking about you. Yeah, it kind of feels like you're everywhere and that everybody, especially if someone happens to to be following multiple influencers, right, which does happen in, in a given space, then you turn around and you're like, whoa, everybody, everybody that I trust and know is talking about Groove Life. This is huge. They're, they're everywhere. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, like, some people, I think, you know, think white labeling is kind of like a silver bullet, which I don't know that it really is like, you know, you're just going to do white labeling and it's automatically going to get you a huge ROAS. But what I do think that it can enable you to do is to get into new markets. And so, you know, if you sign someone in bull riding or if you sign someone that's more of a fitness athlete it lets you kind of leverage that person's audience and that person's likeness into a new market that you maybe never had access to before where you know just running ads from your brand page would kind of be offsetting or it might not make a lot of sense but this kind of gives you a stepping stone into a new market and gives you new volume that you hadn't had before love it I love it. I want, to, I want to talk ambassador programs in a minute and then kind of talk about what your agency is doing. But before we do that, I know one of the things we talked about, and I talked to, to Peter about this too. He, he and I hung out at an event in October, uh, and so we're talking about this. But but going beyond attributed ROAS, right? So so going beyond the ROAS, return on ad spend, that you can see in platform. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how, how are you guys thinking about that? Because I know you're still running Facebook ads for some clients and you're still very plugged yeah. in that as you're doing ambassador stuff. But how are you going beyond attributed ROAS? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so what we like to do is we looked at just your blended ROAS overall yeah. on the whole store. But you obviously have to, to pay attention to some level of like in-platform yeah. reporting, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we've been doing has been A, well, we like to use a tool called Triple Whale, which I've shared with you previously. Yeah, yeah. I've met them um, Yeah, they're great. Yeah, those guys are awesome. Max and AJ have done a great job building out the platform. Um, but basically, just being able to see, basically with Triple Whale, you're able to see, you know, your in-platform reporting from Facebook, in-platform reporting from Google. It brings in your Shopify revenue, Klaviyo revenue, all those fun things, and gives you kind of like your site-wide media efficiency ratio and your you know site-wide ROAS. And so, you know, we love to look at that like first and foremost. But another thing that we're doing that's the real number, right? You got to know how each platform and each campaign is performing, but. There's going to be some cloudiness there, and multi-touch attribution still isn't perfect. And you've got iOS 14.5 and later issues, right? But if but knowing that blended or or mer number of of total ROAS, that's like that's the key number. Yeah, absolutely, that is the key number, and I think that a lot of people get caught up in the in-platform yeah. reporting, so they're not able to scale. And so one of the things I did last. This last year in October was I was I took on a brand that was kind of on like a more of profit share deal, mm-hmm. and basically I I installed like a post purchase survey 
where it was asking, you know, where'd you hear from us? It's actually from Inquire, uh, uh, Inquire Post Purchase Survey. It's an app on Shopify. Nice. Um, it's really, it's really awesome. I check it out. Um, but basically, I installed that app uh, and started getting, you know, almost fifty percent or seventy percent of people that were answering it were answering Facebook and Instagram. And so, I. But really, inside Facebook and Instagram, I was getting inside Ads Manager, I was getting, you know, a one point zero right. ROAS, right. like maybe one point two in platform, right? Yeah, but I got I was getting really cheap cost per outbound clicks, and that was the cool thing is I was getting these really cheap clicks, and so I doubled the budget immediately, and all of a sudden my like revenue doubled as well <laughs> yeah. at like a four or five x blended ROAS, and of course and it was your still total only ROAS was great. It's just the in-platform, it didn't look so rosy. Exactly. And so, I mean, we ended up like quadrupling that store's revenue within like three months just because of that one change. And in-platform, it looked like it sucked, but, you know, overall it was doing a four to five X ROAS, you know, after email marketing and and all that fun stuff. And so I think that that's like definitely something to look at is just kind of getting, you have to have different touch points and understanding the whole marketing funnel not just you know inside facebook or inside google yeah and 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 that's such good advice and and yeah we hear really great things about triple whale and i know max or shout out to max i built a great tool we we also love north beam tool that we recommend yeah that's where it fits but but yeah looking at how all of the platforms work together and then measuring your total roas is super important because we've seen this on on youtube too and we're, we're more of a youtube agency and we actually our, our pads almost crossed we helped peter launch on youtube and then which the goal there, you know, is always that's right. you would launch it and then you guys would kind of take it over and you did and did, did great. Um, but we're seeing the same thing on YouTube as well, right? We're in platform, you're maybe seeing like a 0.75 or a one row as, but you also notice that, yeah, but when we turn YouTube on, Amazon sales go up and branded search and shopping go way up. You know, they grow 300% in some cases. And so, yeah, that's where you've got to look at, look at the translation of what in-platform numbers translate to the the proper mer right that's the real that's the key right not getting hung up on i got to hit a 4 in platform but i've got to hit a 4 total what number in platform translates to that total number that i need to hit so that's that's the real key yeah yeah absolutely awesome. So talk about talk about ambassador programs for just a little bit. What what are you doing there now uh, in your agency? And maybe talk what you did at Groove as well. But what are the, what do those ambassador programs look like? Is that what you were just talking about, where you kind of take over people's uh, ad accounts? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm really stoked about ambassador programs, mainly because last year I think a lot of you know I think a lot of brand owners, you know, when iOS 14, iOS 15 started to hit and really they saw that drop in their, you know, in-platform ROAS, everyone was like, okay, what are the other ways I can make money uh, on my e-com store uh, without, you know, spending money on ads? And a lot, the answer for a lot of people was, I want to start a community. And so, but I hadn't really seen anyone build out a community well for e-commerce brands like there's very few like you can kind of look at you know maybe pure vita or you can maybe look at uh you know movement watches or maybe gymshark kind of like more of these like huge you know legacy now kind of legacy e-com you know unicorns um but i really want to set out to really build communities for e-com brands to do you know one of like three things the first is really driving organic traffic and sales uh through like influencer, just through influencers, 
And so that way you're getting the benefit of the organic audience, getting that organic traffic, which a lot of you know brands struggle with. Uh, but then number two is like maybe the most important, which is getting the creative from those influencers and being able to leverage that across channels. And so by building an ambassador program, you're actually building out like a well of creative to where it's getting refreshed every single month. And when you can refresh your ad account instead of running your same old, you know, static image ads that you're running from your product pages, you're getting something fresh uh, and you're getting like some more UGC style creative. And so my, my thesis is basically, you know, you can, what's going to perform better? The ad that two white guys thought of in a studio together trying to shoot uh, on a backdrop or giving uh, creators your product to help build like a, a new piece of creative. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, do, you, do the best ideas, do the best ads come from sitting around the boardroom, so to speak, and, and whiteboarding ideas and stuff? Maybe, but probably not, right? Like you're probably your next breakthrough ad is going to come from an actual user, an actual customer, an actual influencer. And and so we, we love this, you know, and I know on the Facebook and Instagram side, you got to be generating new content. It's very content hungry and that, you know, monthly refresh or even more often in some cases. We see the same thing on YouTube where, where we want to be testing regularly. We, we also find that creatives last a little longer on YouTube. So maybe it's more like a quarterly refresh, but you still want new, fresh creatives and you don't want to have to be the one racking your brain and coming up with new hooks and new product demos and new, um, you, you know, appeals to get someone to take action. Let, let your users, let influencers do that. And so that, that's kind of what you're doing here. So any, any um, tips or suggestions? Like how, how does one go about building an ambassador program other than calling Josh, which I would recommend doing that too. <laughs> uh, but how can you build an ambassador program? What does that look like? Yeah, for sure. So what I always like to say is, you know, your best ambassadors are the people who have already bought from you. And so I always love to start, I always like to launch an ambassador program to your existing customers. And so that's what we do with each brand. We actually go to their current customer list and we launch, you know, we'll use a piece of software. There's a bunch of different softwares that you can use for this. Um, our, our preferred one is Dovetail. It's a great piece of tech. It's also very affordable. It's not going to charge you $2,000 a month like most influencer softwares are. And um, you can actually have them apply to their to your program. And you know maybe you give them a 10% commission on confirmed sales from their organic following. Um, but really, you know, the benefit is, A, they already have your product. So most likely you're not going to have to ship out more product to them if they already have it. Um, obviously very dependent on the category, but then you're actually enabling them to share about why they love your product so much. And so that is actually going to flood your applications to where you might get, you know, 80 new applications from your existing customers. And then from there, it's really on, you know, doing outreach to new ambassadors that make sense for your brand. And so what we like to do is really building out like campaign briefs of, you know, asking, really asking for more of a testimonial style piece of creative. That seems to be kind of like the easiest way to shoot face to camera, um, displaying the product, talking about the three things they love about it, um, it. and having a call you're, to you're action. Kind of giving them, you're kind of giving them that direction of, hey, just, you know, you be face to camera, have the product, and just tell us the two or three things you love about it. Is that is that kind of the instruction you're giving ambassadors? Yeah, exactly. And then, but also like past that, like, 
you know, there's two biggest, the two biggest problems we normally see with the ambassador programs is a, there's usually a lack of support just because, you know, usually it's a social media marketer in-house or a performance marketer in-house that's trying to run this while doing a million other things. Um, so that's one big thing. And then the second one is just like poor tracking of ROI. So a lot of people, they either don't have any kind of links that are tracking the sales or they're not leveraging it into paid to really see how you're monetizing the ads. Um, but the third one is just treating every influencer the same. And so, you know, that might be the first tier of having like a testimonial style video. But what if you have an influencer that has 500,000 followers that's been around the block it can actually build out some like really gnarly creative. Then you really want to have them in a, in a different tier of like your ambassador program so that they're getting, you know, a high touch treatment. So maybe you're hopping on a Zoom call with them once a month, talking to them about your promo calendar, showing them, you know, hey, here's how I think we can earn, help you earn more money and have like a greater level of partnership. Um, and really just like developing that relationship so that, you know, maybe you eventually put them on like a retainer, right? Because influencers, they really want a long-term partnership and consistent income. Those are like the two things they want the most. And so if you can paint that picture for them, then you're going to have like a really successful program as long as you deliver on your end. And so, yeah, just out of that, we're able to, you know, get tons of new creative every month from uh, your ambassador program and just keeping them up to date on what your promo calendar looks like and inviting them to like new campaigns you know, we like to build out new campaigns usually every six to eight weeks so that it's like staying top of mind and so that they can continue new, to new earn commission. Do outreach to find new ambassadors or new campaigns running ambassador content, uh, promoting the product and stuff? New campaigns to your existing ambassadors. So, you know, once you maybe sign 100 ambassadors, just keeping your new campaigns internally for those ambassadors yep. to be posting about whether it's a new product a new promotion, maybe you want to like launch them all at the same time. Um, all those kind of things can help kind of grow your ambassador program. It's amazing. I love it. And yeah, I'm sure the 80-20 rule or maybe it's the 90-10 or 95-5, right? Where 80% of your results are coming from 20% of your ambassadors or maybe it's again, you know, 90% coming from 10%. Uh, but you got to focus in on on those influencers that are really making a big impact, and make sure they have everything they need, and make sure they stay motivated, and make sure they're incentivized, and all those things. That that totally totally makes sense. Well, let's do this, Josh, because we only got a couple minutes left. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your agency and and what you do specifically. And then I know you've got some you got some really cool resources to help people get started with with ambassador uh, marketing. So let, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So our agency is called AlignGrowthManagement.com, and uh, we help e-commerce brands uh, scale to you know seven multi seven figures, multi eight figure brands. And uh, yeah, right now we're really focusing on helping scale ambassador programs and um, doing your paid social as well um, as a part of that. But yeah, we just actually put together this really cool. Uh, Google Drive of creative from seven-figure, eight-figure, and there's actually one nine-figure brand in there that we took their top UGC that has done over like six or seven figures in sales. And so you can actually come and, and see what that creative is at aligngrowthmanagement.com slash newsletter. And we're actually going to give you 
a quick breakdown of 10 different brands and then links to each video so that you can actually duplicate that and take those principles and apply that to your own creative. Um, and hopefully that'll see your cost per clicks decrease and your conversion rate increase. Awesome. So again, that's alignedgrowthmanagement.com forward slash newsletter. Did I get that right? Yep. Awesome. So check that out. Uh, I think one of the best ways to learn is by looking at other successful, even if it's UGC, right, where you're not the one actually creating this, your, your influencers or your customers are going to be creating it. When you see UGC that's done well, that really strikes that emotional chord and, and is motivating and convincing and compelling and all that, it can kind of help you understand how do I coach my people to, to do that? And then also how do I identify when I get some of this UGC back for my brand? How do I identify which ones I want to run and which ones I, I don't? And so highly recommend you check that out. And then, and then Josh, you guys are also for hire as well, right? So if someone's like, hey, I want to build an ambassador program, and, and I know you guys are, are full and probably got a backlog, but, but you guys are, are for hire for that as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Just come to our site uh, and book a call and happy to chat to see if we can help. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I'm actually a little disappointed that we're out of time because I have more questions about, about Groove Life and about ambassador programs and about, about all of it, but we'll have to consider round two at some point. So Josh, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you so much for the time. Any other parting words of wisdom? Any asks of the audience? Anything you want to wrap up with? No, I don't think I have anything else. If you want to really connect with me, I'm pretty active on Twitter at Josh J. Durham. And uh, I'm always chatting about D2C growth, how I hate oat milk, and uh, <laughs> lots of other things on Twitter. So I right. uh, would love to connect with you there. Continue that conversation. Uh, share your hatred for oat milk as well. Uh, <laughs> you said it's at Josh J. Durham. Yes, sir. Awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes as well so you guys can find that. But uh, Josh, thanks, man. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for tuning in. Uh, we love your trust and your support of this podcast. And hey, if you haven't subscribed, if you haven't liked, uh, actually liked is not a thing. If you haven't uh, given a review or if you haven't shared this podcast, do that. We'd love that. It helps other people find this podcast, of course, and helps us impact and reach more people. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.